Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello, and welcome to the Pop Culture Retro podcast. And I am one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, a semi-beloved children's author. And this is my co-host, Ike Eisenman. And Ike, introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. I'm Ike. And um, and I'm, I'm uh, known for my work in uh, the classic Disney films, Escape to Witch Mountain and Return from Witch Mountain. And also my parts in Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, um, um, Cross Creek, and gosh, so many other credits that I'm forgetting them all. So anyway, I hope you guys are somewhat familiar with me. I think your intro is a lot longer than mine. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the purpose of this, if anyone, you know, since this is the first one, I'm just going to spell out a little bit what we're planned to do here. We plan to, you know, talk about old retro things like, you know, music, movies, television shows, games, things that were popular back in the day when we were growing up. And uh, we're very fortunate for our first guest there, I guess our guinea pig for the first one is Steve Lamar, who was involved in, well, Steve, why don't you introduce yourself and tell about everything? Oh, um, yeah, Steve Lamar. Um, I'm an old friend of Ike's. We go way back. Uh, and uh, I, I guess my claim to fame is I, I was an associate producer on ALF uh, back in the day and uh, did the first three seasons of that. Uh, um, Boy Meets World is another kind of popular show that I, that I worked on. Um, and, but I've since moved to Nashville and live in Nashville and then I'm a film producer here. Well, uh, before we even begin, there's one thing. I mean, this is going, I don't even know how many interviews you've done. This is probably the first time you're going to be asked this question because I read your book. I finished your book last night. Okay. And the thing that intrigued me, not intrigued, I guess that I loved one of the things the most is that you used to work at Farrell's and Farrell's was one of my favorite places growing up. So if you could just spend a couple of minutes telling me about that experience, because I miss it so much. I got, I gained so much weight. <laughs> I was at 20, I was 17 and when I first moved to L.A., uh, kind of immediately I met I met a girl there and then we kind of became a thing. And then she decided she wanted to move to Hawaii. And uh, so uh, she called me. She was going by herself, doing her own thing. And then she called me the next day and, you know, wanted me to come. So I was literally there the next day. So uh, 17, a girl calls, you go running. Yeah. <laughs> this one. This one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then I ran the other way, but that's another story. But 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 uh, there's there wasn't many jobs to be had for uh, a white kid on Maui, you know, that didn't know anything. And it's 17, and so I got a job as a uh, as a waiter at Farrell's, and then kind of ended up being a, like an assistant manager there um, uh, for I don't know six months or something like that. But yeah, the pig's trough, if you know, you remember the pig's trough? Oh my gosh. I remember I was, tr I was trying to remember what the big dish was that they brought out and made a, like, didn't, didn't all you guys have to come out and sing or something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that was that was. Well, if you don't know Farrell's, I mean, for people who don't know Farrell's, like you described, like an old timey old ice yeah, cream old ice cream store, right? Ice cream parlor. Yeah, the parlor. parlor. 
Yes. Because they were in Los Angeles, too. I believe. They were all over. Yeah. yeah. For a while. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, when, when I was a kid, we used I to mean, go to, go to fairly regularly. Florida. I miss it. I think there's only, there are only like one or two left now, if I'm not mistaken. Or one left somewhere. It's the last time I checked. <laughs> right. it's, if it's probably, you know, died a COVID death by now. <laughs> well, let's go. How, how did you two meet? Well, I, uh, gosh, Steve and I met through uh, a friend of mine, an actor friend of mine, um, Kevin Major Howard, who's known for his uh, role as a combat photographer in Full Metal Jacket. Um, Steve will help to help correct me on this, but right. I remember, I remember talking to Kevin, I, I owned my own house at a very young age and I was looking for a roommate cause you know, I, I was there on my own and I mentioned it to Kevin and he said, you know, I know a guy moved out from Texas not too long ago and, and, you know, he's looking for a place or you, I think Steve, you might've been in an apartment. You were looking for somewhere else to live. I'm not sure what that was, but anyway, we ended up becoming roommates. And at the time, Steve, I don't remember how long he'd been um, in Los Angeles, but uh, I believe you worked as a handyman, didn't you? Well, well, first of all, you got everything wrong, but I'll. I'll okay, uh... good. Well, then, thank <laughs> no. you. No, we did meet. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm getting old. Kevin Major Howard, that's part, that part's right. But we were just friends. He just introduced us. And we we were hangout buddies through Kevin, and yeah. uh, so we were friends for a while, and and then I was in a horrible roommate situation he <laughs> had mercy on me so why don't you just come live here oh, okay okay think, thank you yeah. thank yeah. you <laughs> I think first you asked me how much i was paying and it sounded good to you <laughs> <laughs> I took care of the business first but, right uh, yeah and then yeah and then uh then that's when i moved in with you and uh by then by then i was already working as a production assistant but when we first met, I, I was still working, uh, working in construction. Yeah, I thought so. How did you meet Kevin? Um, I have, I really don't remember. Uh, but it seems like maybe it was at or either at a party or at a bar or something. Uh, it, yeah, I think I think it was may, maybe at, yeah, out at a bar. Uh, but, but yeah, I gotcha. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, when you have him on. As your next guest. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I've thought about that. That'd be a great idea. He's <laughs> he's and quite speaking, a dynamic I mean, guy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm I'm your space monkey. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You you are the death subject. <laughs> well, well, I like to say I, I finished reading I, your, your book. Uh, you know, Sam Sam and Me. The week I spent a year with Sam Kinison. So I don't know if you'd like, like to start with that first, but with Al first. <laughs> let's start with Let's start with Sam first. Yeah. This This was just, I mean, a fascinating book. I mean, if if you have everyone out there, whoever will listen, you know, for our, our three listeners to start with, you know, to go to go get this book. Um, what, how did you first come across? It? I mean, I, I saw that the book that Ike introduced you to say go you know, go see this comic. Yeah. I, uh, I had, had been going to the comedy store, uh, and, uh, and, and saw Sam and told it, told all of us, you know, a, a group of friends that hang out, hung out together, you know, uh, told us about Sam and he was great. He was really funny and we had to come see him. There's nothing like him. Yeah. 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 Okay. Finally we, you know, I did, I went to, went to see him and I, like I said in the book, it's like, I, at first it's like, I, he was too much, just too much. It's like, I, 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 I didn't quite, wasn't quite ready for it. And then, uh, until after meeting him, 
at, you know, afterwards, because uh, when we left the first time I was there, he recognized Ike and said hello to Ike and said hello to me. This was outside on the sidewalk after the, you know, when the place was closing down two o'clock in the morning or whatever. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, he's, it's, that's an act up on stage. He's really not <laughs> completely crazy. Uh, and he was really nice. He's a really nice guy, you know, very personable. But that and was like you had seen him, right? You'd seen him many times before then. Yeah, I, I had because I used to go to the comedy store frequently. And um, there's one of those things about show business that I love is when you meet or see new talent that you know without a shadow of a doubt is going to be huge in some way, shape or form. It's always somehow incredibly obvious from the very beginning. And at first, I didn't think that until I got deeper into watching his act. But I was staying late one night because Sam, the thing back in those days at the comedy store, Sam was so volatile and so crass and so shocking that the comedy store wouldn't even put his set up before 1.30 in the morning. They waited till everyone was really drunk. And just before last call or at last call was when Sam went on. And the first time I saw him, I, I was just, my jaw was hanging open much like Steve's. Because the first thing he did was he walked along the stage and we all, you know, everyone who's familiar with Sam Kinison now kind of knows his physical bits, but he didn't say anything for about 10, 15 seconds. He just looked at the audience and laughed and put his microphone up to him and said, I can't wait to see how many people I can offend enough to get to walk out of this place. And that was how he started his act. And I thought, okay, good grief, where is this going to go? And then it just went both uphill and downhill from there. But I was blown away. I, I was so uncomfortable because I laughed so hard at oh. how uncomfortable he was making me. And I thought, I don't know, there's something about this guy and who knows what you can do with them. Cause it was just so outrageous. And so I finally, yeah, I said to Steve and my buddies, you got to come see this guy, not thinking that it was going to go anywhere, but they finally came out. And then, um, yeah. And then Steve had his, you know, had his impression of him and, but you're talking to the, talking to him outside. He just, he would hang out and have a cigarette. He was really soft-spoken and sweet and nice. Just like, I mean, so polar opposite of that um, on stage persona. So I think that was helpful. And, and, you know, in letting Steve kind of take the, the next step that he chose to take, which I'm certainly grateful for. Well, you, Steve, you, you were working with that show. I mean, you sent us a clip yesterday. You sent us the, in advance to see not the clip the whole show of Washingtons, so you were involved with that show. What, your job was to go get talent. I mean, I just want to try to understand a little bit. No, I, I was uh, I was a production coordinator on that. Uh, it was one of my one of the. It was the first. Yeah, it was the first series I'd ever worked on, and I'd still I hadn't been in the business very long. And but I was working with the same people. Uh, and Tom Patchett was the uh, showrunner uh, producer. Uh, director on the series. And Could you tell us a little about the series as well? Because I, I, I didn't even remember the series. When no, you no, 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 nobody does. Washington was a comic strip. That's how it started out as a comic strip. And then uh, Showtime, which was just starting to do some series, you know, some series work besides movies. Mm-hmm. That was one of the early series. Um, um, uh, wanted to turn that into uh, uh, to a, a sitcom. And uh, so Tom Patchett developed it and, um, um, and, and I was working on it and I knew Tom well enough um, that I knew he would love Sam if he would see him. If I could just get him to go, 
he would he would love them. And that was before you know the days of cell phones and cameras and videos. So it's not like I could just show, say here, look at this clip. You know, I uh, just had to tell him about it, and and I just bugged him long enough that he finally he finally came to see him. So. Which is a big risk. It's at the time that was always a huge risk in the business when you're when you're yeah. you're taking someone of Tom Patchett's stature and saying, "Please come see this guy because I think he's funny." You it just you, if it goes bad, <laughs> it could it could go really bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I mentioned with because Washington, I mean, I at that point I didn't have show. I think I had Showtime earlier when I was living in Florida. And we moved to New York and it wasn't even available where we were living then. Cause I remember the show bizarre. I don't know if you remember that with John Biner on Showtime, but I think that was beforehand or uh, before Washington. So I didn't remember the show, but you had some really big names in there. Some like, uh, you know, like some really like, you know, big actors. Yeah. Christina Applegate was oh. a child actress, I think maybe 12 at the yeah. time. And, you know, that was her first her first uh, series gig, I think. And she was fantastic. Um, and, um, oh, uh, I'm sure there's other names. It's like I didn't really think about that. But, yeah, there's uh, there's other people that came came through the series that were that was kind of cool for me to get to see because I'm still not too fresh out of Texas, you know, a little town. <laughs> Texas. So this was this this was still kind of big time for me. It was a lot of fun. So So can you tell us a little bit about your experience of, you know, when you first started getting Sam, I think, I think and it's in the book, but you know, just for people listening. Yeah. Well, uh, well, first of all, well, then finally uh, Tom said he wanted to come see him and not only did he come, but he brought like the, the executive producer and I think another one of the writers, the star of the show, Tom Calloway um, uh, and, and all their wives, which was a huge mistake. Oh my uh, gosh. Oh, oh, okay. Oh. I forgot that. And that yeah. was, oh man! Like, when the wife showed up, I was like, "Oh my, this is this is going to be interesting." But anyway, so Sam and and the tough part was getting there was no way I could get those guys there at one thirty in the morning. So I had you know I told Sam what I was doing, and then he uh, brought me in to uh, to meet somebody in management. It wasn't Mitzi, but it was somebody, and I don't remember. Uh, you know, to making sure that I was for real. And yeah, I'm getting these guys from this show on Showtime, the executive producer, the writer, blah, blah, blah. They're all, they're, they're coming. They want to see Sam. So he was able to get on it. I don't know, maybe it was nine o'clock or nine 30 or something like that, which was very unusual, but he did not hold back. He didn't hold back. And the guys, the great thing, <laughs> the guys were on the floor, you know, instantly from, from the moment he walked up and opened his mouth and, it, but in the wives were just <laughs> kind of, you know, just taking it, you know? <laughs> so, but it was, yeah. And re- literally the next day, Tom said, I'm going to write an episode for him. Uh, I've got an idea. I'm going to write an episode for him. And uh, that was Sam's first acting game. So, I mean, but you had a lot of trouble before, before that happened. I mean, with getting well, him. No, well, with the trouble came on the, you know, the, the first day on the table read. Uh, he, he, we, he got the episode, everything was, 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 you know, was squared away. He was very excited. You know, this was, this was a really big deal for him. And it was a big deal for me because I became very popular at the comedy store. After, <laughs> <laughs> after that. Uh, uh, so, uh, cause, and Sam was great too. Cause Sam would introduce me to everybody. This is Steve Lamar. He got me the gig on Washington, you know, the, show, the Showtime series. So, 
Uh, you must have had every comic buying your drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first, so the first day the table read, you know, he doesn't show up. He's not there. You know, this is Monday morning because we were, you know, uh, it was Monday through Friday from table read to rehearse to, you know, block and shoot on Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, was There was, uh, we didn't, we didn't have, there was no live audience on this. Um, so, uh, so yeah, table read, everybody's kind of looking around at me, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, Steve, where's your guy? Where's your buddy? And, uh, it was, yeah. And I I was, I was terrible. I thought it was just the worst feeling in the world. And so I'm trying to call him no answer, no answer, no answer. So I finally, his, he had an apartment in Hollywood and I went to his apartment and, uh, knock on the door and this little wakey girl answers the door, but won't let me, she wouldn't let me in. You know, she's like barely got the door open. And when I peek through and I can see Sam, I can see through to the living room. I can see Sam naked. Oh my gosh. Well, on the the floor. Actually, I think he was belly up. He was belly up on the floor. Uh, And so I kind of just pushed my way in and I tried to rouse, rouse him up and it wouldn't happen. Couldn't get him. How much were you panicking at this time? Oh, I was, I, I, I yeah, definitely panic attack time because I knew I had to go back. You know, so I went, I, I went back, uh, drove back to the studio and went into Tom's office and, and, and the executive producer, Ken Kaufman, they were both in there together, you know, kind of with their arms crossed. And I said, I, I said, he's, he's, he had some kind of a bender last night and he's passed out. He's not coming. And oh my gosh. I would just suggest recasting. And uh they were and Tom was like, No, we'll give him we'll give him till tomorrow. You know, but get him here tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, okay. And that's kind of how it started. So um <laughs> it was it was tough. But but then, you know, then I was with him that night, you know, went, you know, Tom basically kind of gave me the the uh instructions that I needed to um um uh, take care of him, you know, keep an eye on babysitting duty, babysit him, you know, (laughs) for, you know, for the rest of the week and make sure I got him there and, and that he didn't stay out too late, you know, just, just keeping an eye on him. And, um, so, but yeah, the very next, so I did, I was at the comedy store that night and then got him home fairly early. And, um, uh, and then the next day he showed up and just like nothing had ever happened. He was, you know, full energy, top of the world and ready to go. And he was, yeah. It was great. So, yeah, I don't know if you, uh, uh, if any of you guys have, remember my favorite year, the Peter O'Toole. Oh movie. yes, oh. yes. It, 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 yeah, I had my favorite week. You know, it was <laughs> it was remind, reminiscent of that movie. Well, well I, re- yeah, I, I remember one day, and I can't. I mean, I know he was on his game when he was when you finally got him there, and I'm not sure which day of the week this happened, um, but. Steve ended up calling me because he needed someone to actually keep an eye on Sam, not just make sure he got to the studio. And I, I showed up thinking, man, what in the heck is going on? Because you know, the, the, you, you, he, he's Steve filled me in on what had happened. And I was just completely shocked. Cause here's a guy brand new can barely afford his apartment or the clothes on his back gets an opportunity for a paid gig. Cause you know, they didn't make money at the comedy store. Hmm this is a paid gig and he just doesn't show up. It was like beyond anything I could, I could imagine. So I go in and now I'm standing there being Sam's shadow 
following him everywhere because at this point we Steve and I both knew anything could happen because he was he was incredibly unpredictable and I don't remember a lot about the day but I do remember one moment where my panic set in where I had my uh, my near whatever experience because all of a sudden Sam starts exiting the building and where <laughs> they were shooting this show was a warehouse. I think it was in Culver city somewhere. Yeah. It wasn't in an actual formal studio. This was a time when like production kind of was breaking out all over the place and they needed less expensive facilities to, to work in. So this, this warehouse was converted into their stages and production offices and all of that. So Sam went, grabs a cup of coffee, turns to me and he says, come on with me, follow me. And I said, okay. So we're walking, we're walking, we're walking through the building. I see him heading towards the exit. I see exit. I'm thinking, where on earth are we going? I mean, he can't go anywhere because he didn't have a car. I don't think he had a car. Maybe he had a car. Anyway, I was worried if he had a car, his transportation, he was going to take off. So we go outside into the parking lot and we just stand there. And he's looking around, he's looking around, he smokes a cigarette, he's looking around. And I finally said, you know, Sam, what's up? What are we doing? He said, I'm just waiting for the candy man. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, candy man's coming. Got to meet him out here. And it took me a second because despite my experience in the business, I had to think and process this phrase. <laughs> and then this old station wagon pulled up with this grungy guy. And Sam leans into the passenger window reaches into his pocket, takes something out, hands it to him, reaches with his other hand, grabs a paper oh. bag. The car drives away. And uh, Sam says, I'm all good to go. Let's go inside. And I just didn't know what to do at that point. I don't even remember, Steve, if I told you what had happened. I didn't know if I should protect you from what had happened. But clearly he had done a drug deal and was taking his candy back to his dressing room. Uh, because he did, by that time, he already had... Uh, a cocaine problem and a serious alcohol problem. So, um, you know, that was kind of the beginning of it all. It, it fueled a lot of the craziness, but that was the year I spent a day with Sam Kinison. If I was going to write my, my version of the story. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, what triggered the memory for me for that is the paper bag. Yeah. I remember the paper bag. It's like, Oh yeah. The paper bag. Yeah. <laughs> Really? I re that's what I remember. And I don't remember which day it was during the week either. I think it was, I think it was. It might've been a couple days in because yeah. you, you, you couldn't quite keep one eye on him or assign him to yeah. anyone else. Cause I yeah. mean, you know. I had a job to do still during the day, which was not always being able to keep an eye on him. Yeah. And, uh, um, um, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I was on night patrol for, for sure the whole time, but yeah. Yeah. So thank you. If I never thanked you for that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. My well, that pleasure. Was the, that was one of the parts in your book that I found just, that, that was a funny part also that he just, you know, took out Coke and just said, want some, like, just like nothing. <laughs> uh, well, the, yeah, that was at the comedy, the night I was at the comedy store with him when he, he told me, Hey, let's take a walk <laughs> we walked through the parking lot. And there was a Jeep and he just took the mirror and, yanked the side mirror off that i was like what the hell is he doing and they kind of tucks it under his jacket and walks back into the the green room or little dressing room wherever we were and then he pulls it out and that was his mirror you know for, oh uh, good grief lines yeah 
But there's also one part in the book that this, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about this if you can, that you spent the night that, you know, Sam brought up this surprise guest and, you know, and no one knew, and you were like shocked who it was. I, I you know, if you'd like to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, 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 I was going to spend a little time going back through this and, and reading it as like, you were saying surprise guest. I'm like, what? Are you oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, 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 uh, he didn't tell me who it was. Um, and uh, no, he did tell me who it was, but it was a surprise guest for everybody in the audience. And, uh, but he wanted to make sure I was there uh, and, and didn't miss it and was out, you know, was out watching. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was, he was on and it was, again, it was a late night and um, uh, Robin Williams come, comes, comes in, makes his way in, comes up, goes on stage with, with Sam and, and they just, you know, did 20 minutes or, or whatever together, just riffing off of each other. And it was, it, you know, and Robin Williams, of course, was, you know, uh, when I was a kid, Mork and Mindy was a huge show and Robin Williams was huge. And, and so getting to see him and getting to see him live. And then that it was, that was, that was awesome. That that's, a, that's a, that's definitely a, a highlight memory highlight for me from LA. Well, can you give us a little bit what happened when you met them backstage? Yeah, or, you know? that's, yeah I know I'm milking this. Uh, then, then, then right after, after they after they went off, uh, again, it was late at night. So they went off stage and they immediately kind of uh, just went, made their way back into the kitchen uh, at the comedy store. <clears throat> and so I, I'm, you know, there's like these double doors, right? And so I'm kind of uh, uh, peeking in and... Um, and but I and uh, Sam's back was to me and Robin was facing me, and you know they were thirty feet in to the to the room or something. And I kept looking, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to knock. I didn't want to go in. I didn't want to disturb. It's like it's Robin Williams. It's like I can't just barge in. And and uh, so I was really timid about going in and getting Sam. But it kept getting. They kept going and going and going, and it kept getting later and later. And I poked my head in again, and and finally. Uh, 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 Robin, who had seen me every time, finally, you know, kind of nudges Sam. He's like, you, you know who this dude is? Who is this guy? And uh, then Sam turns around and says, oh, Steve. It's like he forgot me, right? You know, and then he and then he pulls me in and introduces me to Robin. And and uh, and, and then I didn't want to leave. You know, <laughs> you just keep going. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to, uh, you know, enjoy this, enjoy this moment. So, um so, so yeah, so, but, uh, uh, but when I, but when I went, but when I went in and, and uh, finally Sam had introduced me to Robin, Robin said, Oh, nice to meet you. Cause uh, I didn't, sorry if I was giving you a weird look, he goes, I thought you were going to kill me. I was like, no. <laughs> oh <laughs> no, man. No, I, I just, just, just here for Sam. I might kill him. <laughs> well, not you. Well, okay. If you want, we could, I'd like to uh, segue into Alf a little bit. Now, how, how did you get involved in that show? Um, because it was another, that was, uh, Tom Patchett created that show, uh, with Paul Fusco, the puppeteer. And, um, and so, uh, that was again, fairly early on in, in my career, but I'd done a Washington with Tom and there was a few, I think there might've been a, a, a couple of little pilots or two and some, some, some other, other small shows. And so when, um, when Alf came along, uh, which was, uh, uh, I was, we were doing some other work. I forget exactly what it was, but they, he was writing Alf and I actually delivered the, 
the ALF script to Brandon Tartikoff. So the pilot script went from, from Tom Patchett's hands to my hands to Brandon Tartikoff's hands, which he was the president of NBC at the time. And, uh, and wow. uh, so, um, and then the, the show, they, they picked up the pilot, they shot the pilot and then we had to reshoot the pilot, uh, some scenes in it because, uh, they, they loved it. Uh, but uh, Brandon Tartikoff said, Alf doesn't come in quick enough. It's like watching a, a basketball game and, and Kareem doesn't come in until, you know, the third period. It's just like, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to get him in quicker. Um, and uh, so we read it, read it, we shot it and uh, some scenes got him in faster. And then the main reason that Alf got picked up, and I'm sure this is written somewhere, um, uh, but uh, the main reason that Alf got picked up is because Brandon Tartikoff's daughter, who was probably four or five at the time, loved it. She couldn't take her eyes off of Alf and she was mesmerized. And so he knew that there was, you know, besides it being a funny show, I think the merchandising thing, you know, kind of kind of clicked. And uh, that's that's the main reason that the show got picked up was Brandon Tartikoff's little girl. That's I mean, so it's yeah. so crazy because that stuff happens all the time. And we you know, we look back on these shows um you know, obviously the older they are, the more well-known that they are um, and, and think they just existed. They just came, you just open a box and there's the show. It's that simple. It just happens, but it can be as, as ridiculous as that or someone's wife or a friend or something, you know, president of the network's daughter <laughs> likes the show. I mean, it's just, it's, it's always remarkable to me. And I've, you know, been on that side of, of, you know, many situations like that. So it still amazes me to hear stories like that from, from other projects. Yeah. Well, just on a similar note to the, the little boy in, in Alf, his name was Benji is uh, Benji Gregory. And there, uh, he was not, I remember he was not Tom Patchett's first pick, hmm. but Arnie Brillstein, who is the executive producer of the show and Tom's manager. Um, if you don't know who Bernie Brillstein is, he's you look him up. He's, he's got an incredible history. Uh, but uh, he, uh, when Benji came in to audition, he was wearing this cute little cap, you know, little like a little English cap kind of thing sideways. I forget, you know, like a riding cap kind of. And um, uh, he just looked adorable in the, <laughs> in the cap. So <laughs> he was like, he was sold. No, got to have the kid in the hat. Uh, well i I mean ike and i were talking about alf yesterday a little bit i mean i don't if people don't remember alf was a huge huge show for for a while there yeah it was a it was a big hit and you know what's funny too and and i don't know if you know this but uh alf it was huge in germany that was the biggest that was his biggest market uh foreign market was germany he was a huge celebrity and the show was huge there they did a a wrap-up two uh two-hour tv movie um which uh, well anyway they it released as uh, theatrically in germany oh my gosh so, yeah no i had I, I had no idea foreign markets are another thing that's just a that, that's just it they are foreign foreign market markets it's like david hasselhoff in germany you know being a bigger star there than anywhere else in the <laughs> yeah, world right. i mean he's he's, yes. a, he's a he's practically the country's you know icon um <laughs> But yeah, that's that's. I, I mean, I I watch the show fairly regularly, and I, you know, 
and always when you're in the industry, you read the trades and all the stuff that you know you hear about what's going on with the shows. And 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 I remember how 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 huge it was. I and I I could not get over how bloody funny uh, the Alf character really really was. And I wanted to ask. You said that Tom developed, you know, um, created the show with Paul um, Fusco, Fusco Fusco. I guess. Fusco. Yeah, Fusco. Um, did did Paul already have this Alf character that that he? How, how did they come together? As you recall, the way that happened was uh, Paul was living on the East Coast and doing um, doing some kid shows on on. Uh, uh, public either public access or some some pbs so he's doing something locally and um and one of the other uh puppeteers his, his name is just escaped me but uh he actually carved alf he, he carved the puppet hmm. and uh brought it out uh, at a party or something and uh and he and paul were working together and uh paul just puts you know puts a puppet on and alf was born and he just starts you know you know using the voice and and ripping on everybody in the room and and that's that's where the that's how the character started and wow i guess they just you know everybody loved it so much it was so funny that uh um uh paul decided to take it and run with it and do something with it and and uh i forget who uh how he connected with uh with Bernie Brillstein, but he connected with, with Bernie and Bernie became his manager and was, and of course, uh, Tom was being managed by Bernie. So Bernie put them together, said, you know, let's make a show. And Tom created the, the series. Mm. Well, now I, I don't know if you don't want to answer this, I mean, you don't have, we'll edit this out later, but <laughs> I have to ask now, I mean, you know, when you when you watch shows and movies, everything seems like so great and, you know, love it. Now, all I've read since then, and I don't know if this is true, is that there was the actress hated being on the show. Is that is that anything true at all or no? Not really. Well, to a certain extent. Um, yeah. Max Wright, um, who's who passed away a couple of years ago. Max Wright wasn't it was a hard show to do, first of all. Um, there was no live audience and it was long, you know, uh, rehearsed, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, shot Thursday, Friday, block, block and shoot Thursday, Friday. And they were long days and they were hard days because of the, you know, Alf, you know, the stage was raised up four feet from the ground. And so then, you know, and the set was on top of that. And then, so they, cause they had to cut trenches for Alf to move through. It's like a Sesame street type deal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and and so that made it difficult, and just just all the physical stuff of uh, of shooting, you know, shooting shooting puppets with real people it was just, you know, it was a hard show to shoot. Uh, Max was uh, had worked with Tom before on a series called Buffalo Bill, and um, which is a great if you ever get to go back and look at any of those shows, they're still great. Dabney Coleman, was Dabney Coleman, fantastic. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's where he came from. Uh, Max Wright, but yeah, I think Max had his abundant. He had he had demons and uh, some drug issues, and uh, um, and it came to a point where he was not, you know, he just wasn't happy being there, and uh, which made it tough, you know, if if somebody up high on the show is not happy, that trickles down. But you know, but we really, it was fun though. We did we did have a good time, and we hung out a lot together, 
after, you know, after the show. And, uh, but just like anything, you know, it, it's like, yeah, you want a series, but then you get it, whether you're uh, either working on the crew or you're a star, it's like, you know, it, it, that, that thing sets in that's, that makes you kind of want for something more and something different, I guess. But, uh, but over, overall it was, it was fun. And uh, Paul, Paul Fusco made it fun. A lot of the outtakes, a lot of the stuff between, between, uh, between scenes were, were really funny, really funny stuff. Oh man. I, I, it would be, that would be worth a small fortune to have some of that material, <laughs> wouldn't it? You know, actually several years ago, uh, a take we, we made every year we made outtake for, uh, for the, uh, rap party, uh, you know, an outtake reel uh-huh. and, uh, and all that stuff was in there and it was, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> you know, the best hey, one out there and it's, it, it is out there is Casey Casey. <laughs> you guys have heard that one, right? Oh my gosh. I yes, I, I have. have. Oh, it's been a long time, it's but beautiful here in Casey Casey. I mean, and it's a slow burn and a slow build to him. Just, just exploding. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh. I have to look that up too. Cursing yeah. a blue streak in that, in that voice, you know, it's, 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 it's extraordinary. Yeah. You must. And so should our listeners. Cause I'm it's worth I it. Can, I can hear shaggy cursing. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. What, absolutely. And, what he, and what he's upset about is just beautiful. It's like he's up, he's mad because he's he he's just coming out of an up tempo song and he's doing a, a death dedication, you know, because he would about a dog dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh. Um, well, we have to hear this. So I know I would you know Alf, I getting back to Alf, I mean that ended to me. I think premature. I mean, just you ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there, there's been, they almost did uh, an ALF movie a few years ago, right after this, the, the first Smurf movie was a huge hit and it was uh, CGI and uh, live action and CGI. Right. And so uh, when that was a huge hit, they, some, someone uh, from that same company, uh, um, had got in touch with the uh, the Alf people um, and uh, wanted to do a movie without the same, basically the same kind of way. So you know, making Alf CGI, which would be a lot easier to do, and you know, a combination of CGI and puppetry. Um, and so they were, you know, scripts were written, and I actually read one of the scripts. It was actually really good. Um, and um, uh, I say actually, like you wouldn't think it would be, but it was. Yeah, it was really good. And. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and then between the time the script was written, uh, the second Smurf movie came out <laughs> and, and it was a huge bomb, a huge bomb. So then that the, the Alf thing uh, died with the second Smurf movie. Um, but there's also been talk a couple of times and just be, uh, I hope I'm not letting something out that I shouldn't, but uh, just before COVID uh uh, took over um, for it hit. There was a talk of a. This was a second talk of a reboot of Alf, and which you could easily do because Alf looks the same, right? You know. <laughs> oh um, yeah, absolutely. It would be awesome. Right, but it was going to be a complete a complete redo, a complete reboot. You know, a different, a kind of a different story, and uh, not 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 the same setting or the same characters. Um, so. Uh, that I was really excited about that because I was getting calls from 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 the uh, uh, 
from the uh, studio, uh, this major studio that was going to do it. And they were asking me, you know, all these questions, you know, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And, you know, uh, giving them insight onto different things. And I was like, you know, look, I, I'm happy to give you this information, but I want to, I want in. I yeah, absolutely. Them, you know, of course. <laughs> you know? um, and they said, really be interested in coming back and doing, so? I said, absolutely. Yeah. So, and then literally two months later, you know, uh, COVID. It, I mean, you're not letting anything out because it is online. That's that was one of the things I wanted to ask you okay, is if you know because they were talking about a reboot. So th- is that dead now? Well, I just reached out to um, to the studio, jeez, uh, about a, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and I haven't heard anything back. So you know, either 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 it's either it's not happening or or it's not happening with me. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> both, you know, but oh. I haven't talked to Tom about it. I know Tom would be involved because, it, you know, because he's, you know, he owns it. Uh, uh, but I haven't, I haven't bugged him about it, but uh, I, I, I'm going to be, his birthday is next month. His birthday <laughs> is in, in, uh, actually in April, two months. So I'll be talking to him then and I'll, I'll slip <laughs> it in. Hey, what's going on? And his son is a writer also. And, uh, and he was involved in the in the feature. I'm not sure if he didn't be involved in the uh, uh, in the series or not. I think maybe he's a really funny guy, uh, young man now. Uh, uh, so uh, I keep in touch with him as well. So I'll be hitting him up. <laughs> I hope so. Good grief! I don't really want to move back to L.A., but for Al, I, I would be back for for a while. Yeah. Well, now when- since you were involved, now I have to ask what was the what were the plans for the next season? Or season five, if if they hadn't been, because you 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 made the face about the the movie, the nineteen ninety six movie, yeah. which I think everyone had shared the same face that you made. <laughs> so about that one. So what what were the plans to you know I guess continue the season? What was the resolution going to be? Well, I don't you know honestly I don't know because I um, there were four seasons of Alf. I did the first three, and um, after the third season, we did a pilot. Um, uh, with Sandra Bullock called Working Girl and Working Girl got picked up and, and then Tom asked me, Hey, it's your choice. You know, you, you want to, you want to stay on ALF or do you want to come over and do Working Girl? And so, and Working Girl was shot on film. It was different. And, uh, and Sandra Bullock, who wasn't Sandra Bullock yet, but she, you know, she still looked like Sandra Bullock. Um, and, um, uh, so yeah, so I, I said, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go do working girl. And so we did a season of that. And so I was doing working girl first season when fourth season of Alf was being shot. So I was less in the loop at that point. I did watch working girl. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, it was a decent, it was a decent show. And I, I made a very, very, very good friend on that, uh, Tony Quinn, uh, who played the boyfriend of Sandra Bullock on that show. He and I became, we just, just instantly clicked. And uh, I can remember Tony, I know you guys met. Oh yeah. Um, no, Tony's a great guy. And um, Yeah. Great guy. Funny, funny guy. Now, nobody yep. makes me laugh like that guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and then, so we did that. And then something very unusual happened. Then uh, a few years later, but actually the last series I worked on before I moved to Nashville was uh, Boy Meets World, and Tony was on Boy Meets World, and so it's just we. It's the, I, I'd never worked with two people, two series regulars on 
different series before. So that was a lot of fun, you know, kind of getting to work with him again because we got into so much trouble. Uh, <laughs> I can well imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to share? <laughs> no, we just couldn't be, on, we couldn't be on stage together, on set together, and rehearsing. <laughs> Because we would end up cracking each other up and, and, and you know, and, and, and you know, and interrupting uh, the rehearsals. So it was just, and yeah, and there was a lot of uh, Nerf gun wars, you know, so um, that was, but he, he was a fun, he's a fun guy and still a good friend. Boy Meets World was a good series as well. Not much to talk about on my end other than it was, uh, I think it was season three or four that I did. Uh, and um it was a great, you know, the show was doing really, really well. And I was just um, ready to make a move. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, also at that time I was uh, um, had aspirations to be a singer and a songwriter. And even though I wanted to uh, um, early on is like, a, you know, it's like I've thought of myself as being kind of like a, you know, pop rock, Brian Adams, uh, uh, Richard Marks kind of a vibe mm-hmm. thing. Every every time anybody heard my music, they were like, "Oh, that's cool, man! It sounds a little country." It's like, no, you know, I'm <laughs> but it's like, no, it's not, you know. But really, that's all I heard, and so I finally uh, finally gave into that and uh, went to visit Nashville and during a hiatus on uh, on uh, when I was working on Boy Meets World, came out and said, "Okay, next hiatus, I'm going to come and I'm going to stay for three months." And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, that three months ain't going to cut it. If I'm going to do it, I got to do it. And so, mm-hmm. I, you know, put my notice in, said I wasn't coming back for the next season. And when the season was over, I moved to Nashville. I've been here ever since. Do you like to tell everyone what you're up to now so we can catch up with you what you're up to now? Yeah. Well, let me let me go back because I, I don't even know if you know this story. But what really finally got me to move to Nashville was uh, I was living living on um, Ventura Boulevard. Near my old apartment there. And if you park on the street, your car's going to get broken into. It doesn't matter what kind of car you have, what kind of alarm or whatever. So I had a, uh, my cars parked on the street. Somebody broke in, stole my stereo, and I had a, a case of cassettes, right? They stole my, you know, stole my cassettes. A couple of days later, uh, I get a phone call. And in my cassettes was my demo. I had, you know, a couple of my demos mm-hmm. in there, too, because I see somebody on the street. You know, I can pass them out. <laughs> so, you know, it's got my picture on it. It's got my phone number and it's got the list of the songs on it. And these are my, you know, my, what I thought was my, my, my pop rock songs. Right. So I get a call a couple of days later and, uh, and my phone rings. I, oh, hello. Hey, is this, uh, is this Steve Lamar? Yeah. Hey man, I heard your demo tape and I got to tell you, man, that's really cool. Oh, cool. Who, who is this? He goes, no, I just wanted to tell you that your demo tape was really cool. Um, where, where, where'd you get it? A friend of mine gave it to me. He goes, but it's really cool. It sounds a little country, but it's, <laughs> it's very cool. And I was like, oh, well, thanks, man. And he hung up. And then a couple of seconds, I was like, that's the son of a biscuit that broke into my car. It's so like this. Even he thinks I'm country. And so I was like, I, I give up. I'm going to go to Nashville. So, oh really. man, yeah, that's that's a Hollywood story for sure. <laughs> you know what? It made that story great is if I actually had become successful. <laughs> yeah. you know, but I told somebody that I told I told uh, an actor friend of that, and they said you should that you should write that story anyway. That's 
that could be an uh, interesting story. Eh, maybe one of these days. Oh, how crazy. That is just crazy. Yeah. So I'm in Nashville. Uh, I'm um, moved here in 96 and did nothing but music for three years and um, uh, met my, my wife here. The, uh, I was here for a year. She was passing through. I, was, I had a regular gig at uh, Opryland Hotel at one of the bars there. I had a trio that I put together and I was playing there three or four nights a week and uh, uh, writing and uh, doing songwriting during the day. And so uh, my wife, she, she was, she came passing through and, uh, uh, and uh, met her and basically just didn't let her leave. And uh, that's the short story. Um, and then after about three years of doing music and it not quite happening for me, I was like, and, and then I got, we, we'd gotten married. I was like, I'm ready to get back to work and uh, start making a living again. Um, and uh, so I just sent my resume out to some different production companies here, uh, all of them, uh, which was four or five at the time. And uh, one of them finally called me back and I worked, uh, ended up meeting with them and they were doing a lot of work in LA. They were doing um, promos and network promos and things like that. And uh, uh, they thought because I'd had that experience in LA that it would be, would be a good fit. I ended up working with them for 10 years as their staff producer did a lot of music videos and specials and like I said, a lot of uh, uh, promo work um, in LA and um, then um, started my own company about 10 years ago. Um, repping a couple of directors and just doing, I used to do a lot of music videos, but those are those just not as uh, maybe a couple of those a year uh, now, but mostly commercials, primarily commercial work and some um, also uh, doing some uh, documentary work now as well. And, um, oh, that's great. So a little bit of everything, you know. Uh, I'll ask you, and I'll ask Ike too, both of you, because I, I don't think I haven't asked Ike this. You guys miss LA, or are you happy where being away from that? <laughs> so, I'll, go, I'll go first. I don't miss a thing about it. <laughs> I really don't. Um, <laughs> it, 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 LA is a hard place to, it's just a hard place to live, especially if you have to get about town in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it, it's not a joke or a cliche. The traffic is the most horrendous thing you could possibly imagine. And I think a lot of that was many things pushed me over the edge to, to leave and relocate somewhere else. But just how ridiculously long it takes to get from one place to another, if you just want to meet someone for lunch is it, it's just completely insane. Um, and until you experience that, you just, you just don't understand. And so, no, I don't, I, I don't miss any of the, um, the harsh parts about LA. I do miss the restaurants and the food that, that I will say I do. <laughs> Cause it's funny how food culturally is such a strange thing. And in Los Angeles, you know, New York, it's got tons of restaurants, but they're all at a certain price point and they get more expensive, the better, you know, which is true of LA, but there are so many mom and pop family owned restaurants that are incredibly reasonably priced. It's just some of the best food I've ever eaten anywhere. And I miss the convenience and, and um, yeah, the tastes of Los Angeles. I, I I do miss that, but no, nothing else. I I never looked back once I once I left it. It and yeah. <laughs> well, for me, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much right there with you. I did, I still have friends there, so I'm, I miss I miss those guys. And uh, but I I I usually go back pre-COVID, you know, a couple times a year for work. You know, I'll have a, a shoot that will you know job that will bring me out there. 
And uh, so uh, either jobs or a meeting or something. So I get to go back, but I do find the longer I've been, a, the longer I've been away from it, the less time I can spend there two or three days. And I was like, I'm ready to get out. So, yeah, that's a, that's about it. Cause I think the last time I was there, um, my wife and I were there for about that long. And, and, you know, just going back to the traffic thing, she wanted to go to the beach. And of course I wanted to go to the beach. We went to Santa Monica, went to the pier, had a lovely time. Then we wanted to have uh, a drink. We just want to have a drink in Beverly Hills. And for people who aren't from Los Angeles, that's only about four miles. It's not that far. It took us 90 minutes oh my God. to travel the four, four and a half miles in the traffic. And it was 2.30 in the afternoon. It wasn't like it was what you would consider peak after work travel time. It was just normal trying to get across town. And I just wanted to pull my hair out. And then she was trying to redirect us on side streets. I said, it doesn't work. That's what everybody does. <laughs> if it's congested here, it's, it's just as many people trying to get around it, forget it. It was just, it was, it was crazy. And I thought, man, no, I'm, I, I can't, I can't take it. <laughs> I just about walk that, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Pretty much. I mean, that, that was what was incredible. It's a good point. Very good point. So I still, I do like going back, I like going back to visit, I like to get, you know, a couple of days and I'm, I'm good. I took my son, my youngest son there uh, for his, uh, uh, when he turned 10 with each of my boys, we did a thing called the 10 year adventure and mm-hmm. they get to pick anywhere in the continental United States they want to go. And he picked Los Angeles. Well, we wanted Los Angeles and San Diego because he wanted to go uh, to the zoo and uh, uh, SeaWorld. So we, we spent a week, you know, between the, between the two, he loved it. He had a great time. What did, what, what did he want to see in Los Angeles? Cause I think that's fantastic. I'm always curious about why people want to go there and what they want to see. Palm trees, universal <laughs> studios, you know, uh, oh, sure. That, the fact that I'd lived there, you know, was, was kind of intriguing to him too. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, just did that. That was, that was a lot of it right there. Yeah. Well, there's this whole one day. <laughs> there is a whole romantic, you know, idea about Los Angeles because of Hollywood and the music mm-hmm. business and all of that, which which does holds true. And I, I get the appeal for a lot of people, um, you know, because there's all kinds of things that you can do that I know people become aware of, like shows that you can go see for free. They're they're constantly looking to fill audience seats um, for brand new shows that no one's ever heard of, mm-hmm. sitcoms and things like that. So if you do hang around Grommans or certain certain areas. Um, you'll find people on the street saying, you want to see a show, want to see a show, want to see a show. And they give you tickets and you show up at, you know, Gower studios or CBS or wherever, and you get to see something brand new. So I know there's cool things like that that can happen, you know, in the business for, for people who don't know anything about it um, and the other attractions. But I I think many people I've met who visited there once came back and said, no, I don't think I could ever live there. It it was too spread. It was more spread out than I thought it was going to be. And it took forever to get anywhere. So (laughs) you you just, you just hit on something that reminded me, but one of the things that I missed the most, and I, and I try to do it every time I go back is see a movie because the the theaters, the theater experience going to Cinerama Dome, Um, Bernice theater, you know, that you just, you can't get that anywhere else. That is absolutely the truth. I, um, I, the Cinerama Dome is an extraordinary experience. And I, uh, these days I, I, I would be fascinated to see something there because everything's, you know, acquired digitally now. And I'm sure the resolution's fine that you could fit that screen. But I remember seeing 2001, a space odyssey when it came out in, 
the Cinerama Dome, and it's this dome-shaped building with a screen so big they had to curve it around the around the front, and it's an entire the cinema Cinerama the center. I I don't know if it was you know super seventy millimeter seventy millimeter the the aspect ratio of the projector is incredible because it has to, the lenses are special so that it can make sure that, you know, what you're seeing up there is in sharp focus from corner to corner. And, you know, you just, you, you, you really do feel like you are in the middle of a movie. It's the most immersive experience you could possibly have next to something that's projected all around you. So that is, that's, yeah, that's a really good, really good point. Yeah. That's what the town's known for. So. Hmm. One day I'll get out. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think we're out of time now, uh, but Steve, I want to thank you so much for for joining us and being our guinea pig, I guess, for the <laughs> first one. And we'd you know love to have you back anytime that you'd you want to come back. Okay. And uh, for everyone, uh, please go out and get a copy of uh, Sam and Me. The week I spent the year with Sam Kennison. And uh, Ike, any closing words? <laughs> no, just thanks, thanks, buddy, for joining us. This was a, a blast and. And um, I hope people found uh, the Kinnison story interesting because it's very, very little known. And you will not find um, you won't even find Sam Kinnison's credit on IMDb on Washington. It's never mentioned that he actually did a job before he worked with Rodney Dangerfield. So it's kind of fun being able to share a you know insider Hollywood story like that um, that m- led to, to great things for uh, for Sam and and Steve for that matter. <laughs> so anyway, thanks, buddy. Yeah. And, and I'm you, sure we'll talk soon. And thank you, Jonathan, for reading the book. And it's a quick read. You know, it's not a, it's, it's, it's uh, no big words, <laughs> quick, quick read. And, and uh, Jonathan, I really appreciate you reading it. And if you, but some of my best work in the book, I think is on the copyrights page. So <laughs> if you didn't read the copyrights page, you should read that. Yeah. I have it on the Kindle. So I was reading that uh, and you're right. It's a quick read. I was, cause it's, it's like, you know, not a lot of pages. And I was like, at the end, I wanted more. So thank you. Sequel time. (laughs) Yeah. The next 25 years after. Right. Well, thank you again, Steve. And until next time, this has been pop culture retro. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to pop culture retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast. 